University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Well, this month I'll have the opportunity to fly for the first time since before the pandemic. And so it's been nearly 17 months since the last time I took a flight. That whole process of going through security with TSA, it, it feels like an unfamiliar thing, but hopefully it'll be like getting back on a bike for the first time in a long time. You know, you've got to take all that stuff out of your pockets. You've got to remove all your smart devices from your bag. You've got to take your shoes off and step through that human x-ray machine for the TSA agent who's on the other side to be getting a good chuckle as they clearly are looking at our naked bodies when we go through the x-ray machine. That was supposed to be a joke. Thanks for the sympathy laughs. I saw this picture recently. It's a picture of a passenger plane legroom. Enough money to do something so audacious as to get on that type of plane today. You know, every day you and I have the opportunity to do something audacious. It's called prayer. We're, we're in our series, Audacious Radical Prayers That Will Transform Your Life. Prayer, but we're not just learning about them, but we're challenging ourselves to put these prayers into practice each day to develop a fiercer and deeper journey with God. And this morning, we're going to look at the audacious nature of a prayer of thanksgiving. For this, we take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as master, have pity on us. Leprosy is a disease that produces scales and inflammation and, and lesions. It's a horrendously debilitating and painful skin condition. A, a person would not want to bathe because of the open sores and wounds. It would be incredibly painful. And over time, there would be serious nerve damage. And since people can live for many years, the condition would eventually lead them to lose appendages and limbs. Eventually, one's face would become disfigured, hair would begin to fall out, one's eyes would even begin to spoil. A leper was not a pretty sight to see. And this was such a horrendous condition and highly contagious through human contact. Therefore, lepers were exiled out of their homes and their jobs, the temple, the synagogues, and frequently traveled places. Literally, if a, quote, normal person approached a leper, a leper would have to cover their face and scream, unclean, unclean, just another source of humiliation. So lepers were outcast physically and relationally, emotionally and spiritually. So we come back to these ten lepers who are following their social protocol, standing at a distance from Jesus. Luke reports that they cry out, Master, have pity on us. Their confession was a deep belief that Jesus could do for them what no one else could do. Their pain and rejection went beyond words, and yet they cry out to Jesus. Stop and consider if you can connect with these lepers. Consider the pain and turmoil of our lives, of relationships, work, family, financial struggles, medical issues, disappointments, and on and on. What pain do you have in your life that doesn't seem to stop? It's an incessant and gnawing pain. Cry out. 
And if Jesus were here right now, what would you ask for him to heal in your life? Look at what it says in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't waste any time. Jesus immediately acts, and Jesus' desire is to see these men healed and restored and transformed back to their societal norm. Society and religion might have shoved these lepers to the side. They might have had covered their eyes to this, these men's agony, but Jesus sees them, and Jesus desires to close the gap between him and them. Jesus desires to bring them healing and restoration. And the lepers' faith in Jesus sustains them in this moment as they believe that Jesus could do for them what no one else could do. And so he sends them off in an act of faith to go show themselves to the priest by which they might be able to be restored back to the community. This story shows us the collaborative journey that we take with Jesus. This story shows us of Jesus' power to heal, but this story also shows us that, that faith eventually has to move from just believing into action. Faith was moved from belief to action. Do we believe that, that God can intercede in our lives, in our suffering, in our pain? And are we willing to, to take action on those beliefs? But then the story takes a different turn here in verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Jesus does a quick math problem on the fly. He recognizes that one out of the ten are turned back to their religious practices, their family practices, and back into society. And I can imagine they were filled with joy as they ran off, many of them probably wanting to reunite with their children or a spouse or friends. Shoot, these guys could actually go into town and hang out with their friends without the barriers and judgment. And we cannot completely throw these these nine under the bus for not gratitude and the experience that they failed to give God the recognition that was due. I mean, they are cleansed from this crippling disease. They are transformed and restored back to life they once lived. And this celebration blinded them to thank God. I think many of us would agree that while we are much like the nine lepers, much in which we take action in our faith, Oftentimes we fail to recognize God's good work in our life. When I was a kid, mom and dad would always ask one of the three boys to pray at the beginning of a meal. And I had a prayer that it was my go-to prayer every single time. It went something like this. Thank you, God, for this day, for my family, for this food. Amen. Let's eat. Now imagine that, but in a really cute four-year-old Andy voice. It was adorable. But one particular time, I was asked to pray at our extended family get-together, so I prayed my memorized prayer and said amen, and take in everything that God has given you. That was a lesson I took to heart, much to the chagrin of my family, since my prayers 
then became super-duper long diatribes about everything I could think of to be thankful for from that point forward. I was thanking God for my treehouse, for each food item that was on the table, for each classmate in my school by name, for my favorite toys. I wonder if we need to open our eyes and take in everything that God has given us. Continual complaining, it's never good enough. Sometimes we fail to pause and recognize just how much we are blessed. It's really quite simple. In fact, there's only one verse of Scripture we need to help remind us of this every single day. Do you think you can say John 3.16 with me? For God so loved the world that he gave. Stop right there. Let's say that again. For God so loved the world that he gave. Stop. Think about that for just a second. How fascinating. For God so loved the world that he gave. The rest of the verse we'll get to in just a second. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is the Greek word edokin, which means to bestow, to to supply, to reach out, to grant, to commission, to give of someone asking. How often do we simply pause to recognize that God gave? The finite details of what God gave and continues to give, we'll get to in just a second. But pause and just consider for just a second that God gives. But the verse continues, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's not that God just kind of has a general kind feeling towards the world, a general warmth towards humanity. John says that God egopason, it's a derivative of the Greek word agape, which is the most profound and powerful word for love in all the scriptures. This is the word love that Paul describes as patient and kind. It's, it's a love that's never arrogant or rude or self-seeking or keeps records of wrongs. It's a love that bears all things, endures all things, hopes in all things. It's the kind of love that God is giving us. It's out of God's profound and unabashed love for us that God gave God gives God's love so generously, and it's a powerful love that cannot be broken or destroyed by anything. Romans 8.35 asks, Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Will, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? No, Paul declares. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a generous love that God has given to us. And no, it's not just for the religious self-righteous that God gives God's love. No, God loves the world even the self-righteous religious people who want to put the proverbial wall and margins up of who belongs in the kingdom of God. God even loves our enemies because they're God's children too. And Jesus showed us the radical love of God by the way that he persistently broke bread with the so-called sinners of his day. He touched the lives of the sick. He healed the lives of the broken. And God even loves those who do not love God and those who want to contain God's love for themselves. 
God is a generous God abounding in love. And God's gift of love is best expressed through Jesus. That's what John says in John 3, 16. But in 1 John 4, 7 through 10, probably put it best, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this love, God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son to this world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What's so fascinating to think about, the motivation that God chose to become flesh and walk among us. God gave God's self to touch our wounds, to heal our brokenness, to cast out our infirmities, to abolish our enslavement among us. And God's love for us is seen through Jesus' life, his body, his blood, his sacrifice, this ultimate gift that God allows for us. Jesus teaches us that God desires to give us what we truly need and to bless us each day. As you recall, what do the scriptures say? God is so generous in lifting up humanity. It's, it's a chance to serve and to bless and elevate another through sheer graciousness of giving liberally to us. God gives us because God is a provider. Remember what Jesus said, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, or where you will live, for God will provide such things. God gives us life, air in our lungs, food in our bellies, and shelter. God gives us an opportunity to work and to provide for ourselves Everything we have, that house, that car, that vacation, that investment account, is not because of ourselves, but because of the gifts and strengths God has equipped us with to provide us for our needs. Are we starting to see that God is such a generous God that can't stop giving? And yet we're not done. God gives us God's image inside us. God gives us the unique gifts and strengths and passion. God gives us a spirit, a soul. God gives us God's spirit to dwell inside us. Romans 5, 5 tells us, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. By God's spirit, God gives us God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Ephesians 2, 4 reminds us that God being rich in mercy because of God's great love for us, even though we were dead in our brokenness, made us alive together with Christ. Jesus gives us living water and living bread that we might not be thirsty or hungry again. God gives us redemption, not condemnation. God gives us light among our darkness. God gives us light to vanquish out the dark patterns of our life in this world. God gives us eyes to see. God gives us spiritual eyes to discern what God is doing and where God is leading us. God gives us an invitation into the kingdom of God. It's an invitation into a new way of living. Therefore, God has given us a new way of life. And as part of the kingdom, God gives us the opportunity to do good work in this world, to heal the sick, to make the blind see, to release the captive, and to set the prisoner free. God gives us the church to be a haven, a a community of discipleship, a group of people to journey alongside in life. God gives us hope and peace, grace and mercy. John said, a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from above. So yeah, 
God is a generous God who can't stop giving to us. As the great priest Thomas Merton wrote, every breath we draw is a gift of God's love. Every moment of existence is a grace, for it brings with it immense graces from God. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted. It never is unresponsive. It's constantly awaking to the new wonder and praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. For us to to cultivate a life of generosity, a life of gratitude, excuse me, we must begin and continue to acknowledge just how generous God is. I want us to take a moment to spiritually and creatively discern just how much we have and then acknowledge it for what it is. The results, Jesus, from our daily bread to our church community, just consider that we have a family, some familial support. Outside the fact that some of us, hopefully not, will will maybe not drop dead today, tomorrow we have barring the second coming of Jesus, you might have, you have the right to speak your mind. You have the ability to get on social media right now and blast your opinion on any given topic. We have access to information, education, and advancement. Jobs, even if you join the 70% of people who hate their jobs, you have one. We at least have one good friend. And if you don't, hey, I love you. Doesn't that count for something? We have the ability to think creatively. We have the freedom to believe without fear of someone trying to influence our conscience. Open our closets, and we have drawers to find clothes. Clothes, clothes, clothes. And we have clothes not for their function, but for their style. Did I mention the number of shoes we have? Most of us could wear a different pair of shoes every single day for several weeks without going back to another pair. We have the blessing of self-expression, whether it be an, a, an iPhone 12 or a phone provided to us from welfare, we, we have a cell phone. Get the sniffles, we have access to Minute Clinic, Urgent Care, and the pharmacy. And, and if it's serious, you have the blessings of emergency rooms and our hospitals all around us. We have the bountiful blessing of the nectar of God called coffee. And it comes in five gazillion options. And home ground. Got an emergency? Need help? Call 911. They're the police, the firemen, and the military to serve in our emergencies. Folks, this is simple stuff we are blessed with. This is all out of the generosity of us, how generous God is. As the psalmist writes, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing your praises of your name, O Most High. The fact that gratitude is not only important for our spiritual life, but it's a natural medicine for our soul. For one, the brain associates gratitude with life-enhancing states, joy, tranquility, consciousness, enthusiasm, and empathy, adversely compared to ingratitude, which has states of anxiety and heartbreak and loneliness and regret and envy. Research has found that through gratitude, the brain reconstructs pathways and releases chemical dopamines and serotonin, which leads to such feelings of joy and consciousness, and enthusiasm, and with better sleep, better health, reductures, 
when it says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which is through and will produce in you thanksgiving to God. Gratitude transforms our life from the inside out to see God's world and to see opportunities in God's world. And the ultimate expression of gratitude is not just thanking God for what God has given us, but it's about cultivating generosity that reflects God. This is why the generosity of God must register on a deep, soulful level within our mind and our heart and our soul that we must receive and perceive and live in response to God's generosity. In the face of a world that consumes and consumes, Jesus invites us to give away. In a world that tells you to grab for power, Jesus calls us to humble ourselves and to serve. In a system that tells you what is yours is it yours, whatever it costs other people, Jesus considers, calls us to consider the least of these. In a system that declares that you have the right to criticize and to be me, contentment and joy. And the only response to God's generosity is to cultivate a generosity that reflects God in our lives. Throughout this series, we are ending each of the sermons to a corresponding prayer that matches the theme of the morning. And as I've said before, repeating words of a prayer is, is not what praying is about, but, but it's about allowing our heart and our mind and our soul to sink into the meaning of the words. As we lift them to a God who is listening, that's a powerful act of faith. So my challenge to you this morning is that you pray this prayer that we're offering this morning each day this week. The prayers that we're going to pray this morning is featured in the window, which is our newsletter. There's printed copies in the narthex, or you can find this online on our website. Will you join me in prayer as I lift this prayer for us? It's a prayer by Samuel F. Pugh. Oh God, when I have food, help me to remember the hungry. When I have work, help me to remember I am without pain. Help me to remember those who suffer. And remembering... Help me to destroy my complacency, bestir my compassion, and be concerned enough to help by word and deed those who cry out for what we take for granted. Amen.